Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Udhang dhammang sanghang namasami So, I uh, just encourage you to take the op- make full use of this occasion, this uh, ten days we have together, for mindfulness of body, for getting embodied, for uh, opening up to the experience of embodiment, pain, pleasure, neutrality of it, the dullness and the brightness, the joyfulness of it, the rhythms, the sensations of that. Mm. Um, So, of course, when we think about it, mindfulness of body doesn't sound such a great idea, you know, because these things do hurt. And they just clunk around a lot. <laughs> and something in, in me would like to be out there with the stars and the space and the limitless and doesn't want to be down with this clunky thing. <laughs> but the uh, path of the Buddha is through the body, in this body six, this fathom-long body with its perceptions in mind is the beginning of the world, the ending of the world and the path leading to the ending of the world path leading to the ending of suffering and stress in this very body mm. well, because what, the, what occurs if we undergo this if we dare, if we enter if we yield to the body if we go into this if we stop dominating it or skipping it or pushing it around or running away from it or complaining about it or you know the things that we do to try to make it something other than it is (laughs) is that the mind learns it settles and we and what occurs is a quality of deep presence occurs, a kind of nerve endings awaken um, that are about uh, reality, truth. And something that listens deeply through the level of sensation, past feeling, 
into something that's deeper than feeling, deeper than sensation, deeper than pleasure and pain. And we only get there if you're prepared to enter that, go through that gate, uh, get embodied, feel the energy there, the resources there. You start to hear things more fully. Something the mind begins to let go of its uh, impatience, its uh, demandingness, its fidgetiness, its worriedness, its dog chasing its own tail quality, running around in circles, it begins to yield and open up. This is the point of it, of being in the body. Something starts to connect to us. We know where we are. And though where we are may not sound that good, in some ways, we're in a birth-death machine, birth-death system, with uh, pleasure and pain, and so on. Um, that's what it looks like. That's what it appears like. That's, that's the surface of it. And you go into this deeply, you find there's a, a quality of presence. Mm. And you feel alive. feel alive in the present moment. And you really actually have these resources to be able to, to um, not be moved by the ups and downs and the mental stuff and the sensory stuff. Doesn't mean you don't notice it, but it doesn't. It doesn't have to push you around. It doesn't have to knock you around. You go deeper than that. It doesn't mean you don't feel it, but the feelings is a place where the feeling discharges and there's peace. This is the the process, the deepening process of meditation, mindfulness, mindfulness of body, mindfulness of breathing. It's amazing how many messages of truth that we can receive in terms of what we think, what we hear, uh, that we kind of understand you know, as ideas and uh, are maybe moved or inspired by that really to, to, to have those, those thoughts, those ideas penetrate right into the nervous system. So it, it begins the transformation this is what the retreat is about. This is what retreat is about. This is what mindfulness of the body is about. This is what this occasion is about. And then you find actually very quite simple thoughts like letting go, mm. awakening, mm. love, joy, mm. have a, a tremendous, go very far, very deep. And you get a lot out of them. in um, the kind of practices that, or the, the way that we live in the forest monasteries is you don't necessarily have retreats 
per se, but all the time there's the encouragement to be in, in the body, to be in the body through the processes of the, the body experiences and just to be deepening into them. Mm. When there is that deepening, perhaps even just in the early days, we could start to make use of, of recollections because when, the, when one finds one's ground in terms of the body, then the thinking mind begins to connect to the heart. It's rather like instead of the thinking mind spinning around trying to find something, it's found a place and now it can actually speak truth and you can hear it in your heart. You can actually address your own heart, and the heart hears it, because it, there's a place to there's a place to be. When the body isn't present, then the heart is uh, is is uh, tense, or agitated. The thinking mind is spinning around, and they don't connect. So you can have all these tremendous uh, input of ideas, but it doesn't actually go anywhere. Mm. When you've when there's a place to to stand or sit or be, then the, the recollections uh, go deep. And this is something we're encouraged to do is to enter, a, uh, is to practice recollection. Is it like a dialogue between the thinking mind and the heart? There are several standard recollections. Buddha Nusati is a recollection of the Buddha, Dhamma Nusati, recollection of Dhamma, Sangha Nusati, recollection of Sangha. This is the things that we chant, for example. And um, certainly it's quite amazing how, uh, you know, one could, I could have been chanting this stuff for years and it just being a sort of sound, blah, 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 you know, and the end of it, you know, it's just the bit you do before you get your sitting done. You can't, sometimes you don't even do it very well because it's just the thing you, you're supposed to do as some kind of cultural thing. Um, but after a while, you find that particular phrases come, start, you start remembering them. You know, they come up, like the Dhamma upholds those who uphold it from falling into delusion. That's a really lovely thought, isn't it? And you, and you, you know, you kind of start to print some of this stuff and then as you deepen, Quiet down. The thought, the thought comes up. It's very meaningful. The Dharma upholds those who uphold it. Uh, the Buddha, absolutely pure, uh, like the sun awakening the lotus. This lovely image of things, kind of the tenderness and the brightness of the mind opening up. And you go, oh, it's lovely. You get even a feeling about it, physical or a somatic resonance starts to occur with these, these recollections. And it's an encouragement to, to, to learn to think simply small things and get the feeling of it. In the suttas, sometimes you come across a, 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 a situation where somebody says, um, I saw the Buddha, and somebody goes, 
the Buddha, the Buddha, and just using the word Buddha, awakened, and the, the hair stands on him with delight. Because <laughs> you know, just the very, very meaning of that goes kind of like a lightning bolt, you know, runs through the system. You get a sense of shivering, at the very, very idea of it. Whereas nowadays, you know, Buddha, well, you know, Buddha, Dhamma, Sangha, just you know, because the the when you have so many when there are so many thoughts, so much thinking going on, you just can't connect them to your heart. You know, so after a while, that connection begins to disappear. You know, there is the dialogue begins to break down. So, but in this occasion, one can begin to reconnect. Things like just asking yourself, what does a spiritual path mean for you? you know, just you know, turning that over. What's it about? Is it about? What does it really mean for you right now? And it can mean different things at different times. It might mean now truthfulness or reality, or it might mean compassion, or it might mean courage, or it might mean blessing, you know. And it's just uh, running a question into the mind is why we're here. Uh, and each of us may have a slightly different answer to that, and it might be a different answer on different days. It's not important what's said. It's, what is important is that there's a, the meaning arises and it resonates, and, you, and it picks you up, and it, it aligns you, you feel attuned, you feel like your bell has been rung, and you, you ring with that. And then you get some sense of encouragement and strength and uh, um, attunement to the practice. We, uh, to this retreat we're using the eight precepts, and uh, so just to consciously, tonight is the, called the opposite tonight, which is the night when customarily people take the eight precepts. And so it's a chance when you should deliberately recollect, not, I can't do this, I can't do that, I've got to do this, I've got to do that, but actually I've consciously undertaken to refrain from, you know, and why? Why bother? You get the feeling for the quality of honor, the quality of conscience and concern, the quality of may my life not be uh, abusive, may my life be a blessing to others. So then we find taking the precepts is not so much like signing a contract or what we will or won't do, but a way of reconnecting to our sense of honor, of conscience and concern, of um, responsibility to how we are on this planet, how we are with each other, what kind of karma we lay down, uh, how we, so that we live a life not just free from regrets, but actually lifted. Uh, the Buddha once described the life of a uh, of a summoner, a mendicant, 
as being someone who lives with the bliss of blamelessness. They're not just someone who has agreed to do a set of things and not do, a, not do another set of things, but actually they feel lifted, blissful, with this quality of freedom from any kind of nagging or regret, and feeling the honour of being a human being. Uh, and then you, know, you get a recollection like that, and it lifts you up. Because instead of just uh, re- recollecting oneself as, well, you know, you, you know, you try, but you, well, you're kind of okay, but you're a bit weak here, and you're a bit dizzy here, and you're a bit dippy there, and kind of flaky around the edges, and yeah, you mean well, but let's face it. <laughs> kind of personal history level. Yeah. And you should have really done that, but now it's too late anyway. Um, which the, the kind of nagging mind can come up with. It says the honour of being a human being is, is that now we can do good and refrain from doing evil. Not just as some contract or out of fear or being uh, priggish, but this is really beautiful. We have a choice. You know, right now you have that freedom to choose and to to know. You get a sense of that goodness is not just a sense of approval; it actually makes you feel brighter, clearer, fresher. But you have to tune into it. You, know, you have to feel where it is in the heart. It's not just a, a set of, you know, you check, didn't do this, check, didn't do that, check got this right, check, got that right, check, stop, they never caught me on that one, check, you know. (laughs) So, but actually, you know, hey, I've got some integrity here, and that's really lovely, you know, and I can rejoice in that quality in myself. And then when I look around, I can rejoice in that quality in these other beings here, and say what a blessing it is to, to share time to share space, to share breaths, to share minds, to share the, the task with beings of integrity. Mm. What else is better than that? Mm. When we, we live our lives, what else is better than to have shared integrity with other, with other humans? Mm. It's good to, to develop recollection because then it helps you to, to get your values straight and to come out of the, the razzmatazz of media valuing and into the reality of embodied valuing. What's going to make you feel good at the end of the day? What's going to make, what can you tune into that's going to make you feel worthwhile? There's something very precious about your presence here now. It's what recollection is for. And then you tune in to that place where your heart is clear. And then you meditate from there and your meditation then is clear and straight. And it comes out of the kind of place where we can be so easily, uh, we're so easy prey to the hindrances, to doubt and uncertainty and 
vacillation. Mm. Recollection is something that helps to turn the mind around or tune us in to our real strength, our real value. Often when one begins a retreat or he begins a period of practice or he begins a a single sitting, there are uh, recollections that encourage recollection on your your sila, your virtue. Mm. And if it's been broken, then understanding how it was broken, how that felt, and recognizing now you can change it. Now you don't have to dwell in, in guilt. You can now understand that feel that and uh, let go of that and start again. That's the sense of sila, morality. Mm. The, uh, characteristically, the, probably the, the most powerful determining uh, recollections are uh, recollection of death, maranusati, and recollection of Buddha, Buddha-nusati, these stand, if you like, on two sides. You know. Maranusati, the sense of the, the you know, this physical sensory realm is transient, there is death. And Buddha-nusati, we have our foot in the door of the deathless. <laughs> you know, we're born with our foot in the door of the deathless. And the Buddha saying, you know, come, come this way, come this way. Don't just stand there with your sta- foot stuck in the door. <laughs> you know, looking at the door panel and studying the door panel, just get through, yeah? <laughs> Whether you like the door or don't like the door, you know, let's see the kind of door, you see have a metal one, or what paint you like on it. Look, just get through there, yeah? So... <laughs> This, this is in fact the called the Devadutas, the you know, old age sickness, death, and then the the, the enlightened one. And these are the these are in some way one can see this is the summary of the path. We recognise one thing, and it gives us a sense of you know some urgency, some spurring, and then there's the, the possibility of liberation, awakening. There's something that invites us forward, and something that pushes us. Saying, you know, let pass through this and come this way. <clears throat> These are useful recollections to, to cultivate. When we cultivate uh, recollection of, of death, you know, what does that mean? Because yeah. I don't remember being dead. I can you know, have all kinds of ideas about it. I've seen other people dead. They look okay when they're dead, actually, by and large. It's quite peaceful. You know, everybody seems to do it quite, you know, eventually. <laughs> uh, yet, uh, there's a strong instinct to let this not happen to me. Yet, you know, uh, today. It might happen today. Uh, so when we, you know, the, but when you kind of consider the the 
what death means in the, psychologically, you know, it means it's the end of the future, isn't it? It's a bit you just, you don't know. You know it's a bit where your volition stops, your ability to make things work or change things. It's not going to, it's not, doesn't count anymore. Um, it's the one you can't negotiate with. You can't say, well, could you come back tomorrow, you know? I don't feel like it right now. Um, so it's the place where the me bit, the me who can do it, the me who can make it, the me who can adjust it, it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. it's, the, it's the end of that. And this is really very important to recollect. When you recollect uh, death, you think, well, what are you hanging on to now? What are you going to take with you? Mm-hmm. So, so it's something I generally do every, at least every, once a day, perhaps in the evening. You know, you're feeling a bit peeved with somebody. <laughs> no, didn't do this, never did that. Think, Look, you're going to die tonight. This is really worth bothering with. You know, do you want to stay? Do you want to go out like that? Okay. So, right. You know. Or something you're kind of hankering over. Is that going to do you any good? Or the whole planning and worrying bit. It helps to to at least break the the habit, break the stride, break the step of that stuff, how it can take over. So you're on this role all the time of the kind of soap opera level of, you know, this wasn't right, that wasn't right, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, and I want that, and tomorrow, you know, we we can keep going on that level. Uh, you know, this isn't going anywhere, is it, really? You know, it's just going round and round, it doesn't come to anywhere doesn't take you anywhere really useful and good. Now, if you just, you know, recollecting death, stop that. Yeah. And rather than, you know, going into fear or morbidity, just stop the run of that script. Yeah. And certainly for Myself, but if you don't react to the idea, then there's a sense of great freedom. Right now, present is all I'll ever be, is all I'll ever get to. <laughs> there's no forward. If there's any direction, it's, it's deeper. You know, just go deeper. And when one goes deeper, one begins to enter realm of Buddha. So contemplation, recollection of death actually takes takes us to the place of Buddha, of awakening. We come out of the out of the the um, soap opera. This isn't this is something that we maybe participate in, but we can come out of that. 
recollect ourselves in a larger way. What really counts now in my life is to live without regret, live without aversion, live without grudge, live without worry, live without anxiety. And I can't do that by continually trying to fix it. I can, I, you know, by, well, I'll do this, then I won't have to worry. I'll do this, then I'll feel more comfortable. And I'll do this, and then I'll be okay. And I'll make sure this happens, then I'll be, and I'll get rid of that irritating thing, then I'll be okay. It doesn't end like that. You know, it just goes on. There's another one, if you noticed, <laughs> that needs to be sorted out and fixed and planned for and remembered. It goes on. That's the way the script is. You only come to the end of it by coming out of the script. And this is what Maranusati helps you to do. And essentially, it's just that recognizing you can say the most obvious thing in the world, perhaps the most obvious and perhaps the, sometimes the most overlooked thing in the world, the fact of our mortality. It's no new inf- piece of information, but you take that in and recollect it. And you get tremendous value out of that. So when we have, when we do settle, then these recollections start to ring certain chimes, certain resonances, and they help to shape our path, put us in places where the hindrances don't take over, clarify our view, give us a sense of direction. And uh, the smallness and the the pettiness and the, that we can be, you know, we can get lost in the details, suddenly you come out of that. And, you know. I see these two as very much connected Buddha, awakening, awakening through this life, not separate from it. Awakening through this embodied experience, not getting out of it somewhere where it doesn't happen. Awakening through this, you're deepening through it. You see what it... uh, the encouragement that's needed is to, to bear through some of the rhythms of the body, the, the tiredness or the itchiness or the discomforts of it, and let the mind begin to open up to that, yield to that, mm. expand its awareness over it. So instead of resisting or struggling it, you you can find you, you get a greater resource out of just expanding compassionate, calm awareness over the bodily experience. And this is something we can we can do this. Sometimes on a retreat, the the thing is we don't have to do it, so we you know we can we can get out of it.
recently, well, last year actually, in the summer of last year, I was on pilgrimage in Tibet. Uh, and uh, certainly going on a pilgrimage is, is a good analogy for a retreat. It is something to bear in mind as a kind of pilgrimage. Uh, you deliberately leave behind, you know, graciously and uh, gratefully you leave behind and you come on a pilgrimage. And essentially it's to, to, to keep, you know, because things do come back, you know, we do find ourselves kind of going back into our, our attitudes. But uh, certainly the pilgrimage, uh, on pilgrimage in Tibet, uh, the advantage is you can't really go back. <laughs> yeah. We, I, we were. I was uh, invited to go to around the to the western Tibet, particularly to a mountain called Kailash, which is a Mount Kailash, which is a famous um, pilgrimage site, and it's a famous pilgrimage site because it, what it has is a unique place. Um, it's a very beautiful, symmetrical mountain. It's a mountain that no one has ever climbed because it's sacred. Um, it it's, it's, uh, looks like a stupa with a beautiful white cap. Um, and the four major rivers of the Indian subcontinent rise in its vicinity. So it becomes, it's a, like, um, like Mount Meru, the world mountain, the center of the world. And uh, to the south of it are two very beautiful lakes which represent the sun and the moon, the solar and lunar energy. So there's a tremendous kind of ge- geomantic uh, quality uh, to this, this mountain. And people have been, so have been going on pilgrimage there for at least 2,000 years. So the whole place has never been used for anything but uh, pilgrimage. And around it there is a there are, there's one valley that runs up the west side, and one valley, valley that runs down the east side, and a valley that runs a little, little way up the north side, not completely up the north side. And there's a, lot, there's a pass that connects the north to the east, which so you have to climb over. It's called the Dolmala Pass. Um, the whole thing, is, the, the idea is you, you circumambulate this mountain from the west and you come into the north, and you climb over the pass, and you go down to the east, and you come round the south. And each of these, each of these um, directions has a particular significance, um, different qualities to them. And the, <coughs> the, the circumambulation, which is what it's called, uh, is also um, a spiritual mandala, where you go through the process of birth, death, rebirth and regeneration and there are particular places where you can make vows and determinations and offerings and recollections uh, that, that accompany that the place where you, you deliberately uh, are born again if you like you, you deliberately put aside all the past and, and enter into a place of blessedness you go through a particular um, 
stupa, you actually walk through a stupa, it's rather, which is shaped like a door. So you can walk through this, and it's rather like coming through the door into, into a life with a sense of being blessed, rather than being a bit of a whatever it was. Um, uh, and then you walk through that, uh, and there are many places, old places for uh, prayer flags and uh, scarves and offerings made everywhere. So it's a very, very uh, rich um, mandala. And then you come round to the north, and the around the north is the place of death, where there is a place where you consciously recollect your own death and go into death. And then there's a place where you come out of death and into the next birth. And this is the place where you have to climb over the pass, which is 19,000 feet high. Um, so there's this tremendous um, significance to the recollection. It's heightened by the fact that the whole um, of this mandala it takes place at between 17,500 and 19,000 feet in altitude, which means, uh, you've been there, it means essentially you're getting somewhere between a half and a third of the oxygen that you normally get. Um, and mindfulness of breathing takes on new meaning. <laughs> Uh, some people, some people would actually just die there. Uh, so the year, the year before, some friends of mine went, and they, there were two people died around this mountain. Just, just they, they couldn't take it. They just, just basically died <laughs> there. So it's it's usual for people to die. You know, somebody's going to die there every year. You know, on average, sometimes quite a few people die. Or they get stretched out, as their bodies just uh, um, start to, they don't like enough oxygen, things start to happen in the lungs, and the blood, and the brain, and you go into a coma, and then and you don't come out again. Mm. So, um, <laughs> this is a little more than just, a, death becomes a little more than just an, <laughs> an idea. <laughs> Because you that you can feel it, you can feel it at the end of every breath. You can feel death at the end of every breath. You can feel the sense of you're not getting enough, and the body knows it. So the body, it's rather like, say you just ran up a flight of stairs, but uh, when you ran up the flight of stairs, instead of getting to that place where you sit down and get your breath back, the flight of stairs goes on. <laughs> It just goes on and on and on. Uh, so you're always in this uh, 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 state, uh, walking along. Um, this always means you're difficult to eat anything. Because you, you know, for start, you can't. It's difficult to metabolize food. You lose your appetite. And also, you recognize that, you know, if you put, some, put food in your mouth, that's one less bit of air you're going to get. <laughs> So often you, you, people don't, it's difficult to eat anything. Mm. But the uh, beauty of it is, is the 
incredible quality of presence it brings because you, you get the feeling like every gram, every microsecond of breath is like a thread your life is hanging on and as you walk along that you're so, the mindfulness of death begins your mind so keen and awakened to the present moment that the struggle is worth it Mm. there's a quality of elation that comes from that kind of freedom Mm. of carrying so little and the future being so uncertain not even something we can plan on we just take you take a step a step a step and feel grateful that you've taken took a step and you've got another breath going mm. so it's a very uh, elating exhilarating kind of experience mm. Sometimes people find it difficult to sleep because when you, if you lie down and your body rhythm drops, then it's likely you stop breathing altogether. And then the body kind of wakes up and there's a panic as it struggles for breath, rather like having an asthma attack. So this is all in the the atmosphere, in the air. For myself, the most powerful piece was at the place called the Shivatal, which is the place where you consciously relinquish your life. And it's, a, it's a place where you, you should come to this place like a, a cairn, there's a heap of stones built up into a, into a stupa shape, and the whole of the area is strewn with belongings. As everybody who comes there gives up something of their own. There's people with their hats, their coats, their shoes, their socks, their underwear. There's people with these teeth, glasses, bits of hair. And places like you look around, you know, it's like the, the sense is anything you've got that you can let go of, here's the place to do it. <laughs> uh, you know, something of, your, something of yourself. So maybe you cut your nails or, you know, I didn't have a lot of hair to give. <laughs> but uh, essentially, like uh, I was sitting there and, and uh, feeling the body and the breathing, and the how much the body in that state really hangs on to breathing, really needs breathing. You know, and you feel the thread of it, and uh, sense of. You actually feel the whole energy of the body and recognize this is something that's that's there, that's a gift. It's not yours. It's not who you are. It's where you are, but it's not who you are. It's your own this. It's something that's been given to you, if you like, this breathing body with its energies, its vitality. Now, you have the choice, you have the chance you can give it back. Mm. Because it's given to you, you can't own it, you can't hold it. What you can do with it, it's really wonderful, is you can just give it back. 
doesn't mean you know you have to jump off a cliff, but you can just say you can have this. Uh, you can let go of it. This was essentially the recollection I was practicing. And I could sense my father and my mother and the feeling of gratitude for them. They've now passed away. And then they gave me this body. Now give it back. They thanks for the loan. Uh, uh, give it back. Uh. Maybe you've considered this or thought of this or recollected this in this way. Mm. What, what then? What waits for us then? Part of the beauty of the pilgrimage of our, whether it's around a mountain, whether it's on retreat, is that uh, we're also primed, we're also in the presence of those signs that mean truth, that mean awakening, that mean deathlessness. And in the presence of that, when you let, when you give up the dying, when you give up that which dies, the deathless is what's left. Mm. And it's very often the case, as it was for myself, at this particular time, a vision arises. You get a vision comes up, which is for myself, this is a vision of Buddha arises. You know, a sense of this is what waits for you. This is what is present, um, and. You know, whatever you make of visions or images, essentially, uh, that that isn't the point. The point is the sense of deep knowing and assurance, mm. fearlessness, complete freedom from the fear, the nervousness, the grief of mortality. It was a, for myself, it was a very powerful experience. Because after this becomes the most uh, exacting part of the pilgrimage when you have to climb 2,000 feet over a, a tor- over a high mountain pass. And it's called the Dolmala because Dolma, Dolma is the Bodhisattva of compassion. And it says, it, the, uh, the sense of this is in order to realize compassion you have to be able to take on the immensity of birth and death mm. uh, and in a way the, the whole process um, prepares you for that so for myself this, this was an extremely joyful experience because it's like once once you enter into that sense of fearlessness then it's just a step at a time, uh, and you don't know whether you can make another one or not, uh, but you've made this one, and then there might be a next one, and there is one, and there might be another breath, and there is another breath, and so on. And 
and so you, you come through. Some people don't, but uh, I felt uh, I did, something did. And there's a tremendous sense of, of fearlessness that, are, that remains through passing that particular trial, if you like. And so something I'd encourage you know, that even to bring to mind is not to generate fear or worry or to generate distaste for life or contempt of it, but that death correctly held cleans our life, brightens our life, points our life in the right direction, the direction where it's most meaningful and valuable. It points it towards deep compassion and truthfulness and value. Mm. It's, It's important to make this journey and to know that as a human being we're all perfectly capable of doing that. We all have the equipment. Now, is this, this is our, our chance, our privilege, as contemplatives, those who have received and been received into the Dhamma. This is our, our privilege, our possibility. This talk was given by Ajahn Susido at Insight Meditation Society on April 23, 2005. It is an offering of the 